Welcome to another edition of Market Impact Insights, your podcast source for business leadership perspectives to help your business grow. Hear from experts in marketing, sales, business strategy, and more with practical advice for business success. Make sure you won't miss the latest episodes by visiting marketimpactnow.com. Now, here's your host, Dan Albaum. Welcome back, everyone, to another amazing episode of Market Impact Insights. There are two kinds of experiences that any successful company will tend to focus on. One, of course, is employee experience, and that's all about recruitment, retention, the kind of culture that you create and the experience that you're delivering to your employees. That's important. We talked about that a few months ago on this podcast. Today, we're going to look at the other experience the experience you create for your customers, which of course is all around awareness, attraction, bringing in new customers, and then uh, also the impact that that has around customer retention. And we're going to dive in to why customer experience is so important and how it is playing out to really make a compelling difference for long-term success out there in a very competitive marketplace with Ken Demma. Ken has spent his whole career really at the intersection of customer strategy and analytics. He's worked for some of the world's most recognizable brands, Amazon Web Services, American Express, Fidelity Investments, SAP. So he's worked at scale and with a global perspective and focused on customer experience, marketing effectiveness, loyalty, and then how that really drives customer transformation, whether it's B2B, B2C, enterprise level, small, medium size. Ken's looked at that whole picture, so he's going to bring that experience and perspective that is really going to make a difference for you as a leader to think about how you can be more market and customer focused and deliver a better experience. Ken is also on faculty at Babson College. By the way, that college is ranked number one in entrepreneurship. And that's been 25 years running. His focus is on marketing and analytic courses to MBA students. And he has a cornerstone consumer behavior course and his expertise and knowledge through the Babson Executive and Corporate Programs allows him to reach and influence business leaders like you. Ken, welcome to Market Impact Insights. I'm in Seattle. You're in New York. Great to connect. Hey there, Dan. Thanks for having me. I'm very excited to be connecting with you, and thank you for the introduction. So you've had a background, you've worked for some really, really high-profile, successful companies. I'm curious, what originally sparked your passion to focus your your professional path around customer experience? Yeah, that's a a great question, Dan. It's something I, I often think about when I reflect on my career. And, um, you know, you listed off a number of large companies that I worked for directly, but I've also consulted to others as well. But what I really love about the concept of customer experience is it plays to small businesses, too, to medium-sized businesses. It's just essential. So kind of the way I grew up, I grew up in customer marketing at American Express and, again, companies that took a direct-to-consumer approach to marketing so CX, or the idea of customer experience, just became a natural extension from that. But I also found, you know, through the ideas of consumer behavior and customer focus and customer centricity, the whole philosophy 
of being arrayed around a customer and that the mission for a business is to serve customers really spoke to me, right? So fast forward to where we are today, you know, we now have wired organizations and digital organizations that allow this thinking about being customer focused, about being customer first to be permeated through the organization from top to bottom. So to go beyond the type of customer marketing we did at American Express many years ago, now to really arraying the business around a full-blown customer experience more than just the targeting. Yeah. It's interesting. You talked about small or medium-sized businesses compared to large global enterprises. And one of the other dynamics I think, Ken, is that there's almost a leveling of the playing field when it comes to the kinds of data and intelligence and tools that are available. Because I think back earlier in my career, you know, there was, it seemed like there was this clear distinction between, well, if you're in a really small company, you're probably going to be less sophisticated and maybe you'll have a little more intimacy because you have fewer customers, but it's more about just traditional relationship building. But some of those more advanced, sophisticated tools that you think the bigger companies are using, those are readily available even if you're small in growth stage, right? So there's a leveling of playing field. Absolutely. And I think what some of your listeners who work at, say, more medium-sized companies realize and smaller businesses is sometimes it's much quicker to get these programs moving because you don't have some of the organizational issues you do in large enterprises. Um, So yes, the, the technology has leveled the playing field, which brings it back down to how do we really get the focus around the customer because we can focus on the tools to help us get things done down the line. Yeah. Well, obviously customer experience, it's coming up a lot. We're seeing a much higher profile Companies are investing in resources to focus on enhancing customer experience. What's your definition, Ken, of of customer experience? And are there some things that are making it more challenging to deliver today than maybe even a decade ago? You know, that's that's a great question because it does get interpreted or misinterpreted in various ways. So here's the way I see it. It's at every intersection an impression that we meet a customer's needs in a manner that is consistent with our brand and adds to their likelihood of being delighted and more loyal to us, right? So to break that down a bit, you notice I use the word intersection, not interaction. Because if we just think about interactions, that limits our discussion to just where we're communicating with them. And to be truly customer experienced isn't just about the interactions, but it's really everything behind them, right? So the implications are that you have to know them. You have to know what they want. In fact, not only know what they want, but more and more anticipate what they're going to need. It talks about being insight heavy, right? So to know these things, we need to have insight. We need to to have the knowledge behind that. So again, it's more than just the surface interactions. We need to be able to inform the products we're developing. We need to be able to inform the offers we're making. We need to be informing how we're going to deliver. And we need to really work the organization top to bottom. So again, it's much more of a full-bodied view of the idea of being customer experienced so that whether our customers are seeing impressions of us through our advertising or other interactions in the marketplace, our presence, let's say, at a trade show and so on, 
they are walking away with the impression that is consistent with our brand and helping and helping to reinforce that with them. The second part of your question is it is getting, you know, more difficult in a marketplace where your competition is just a couple of clicks away, right? So the the technology enablement becomes very important there in helping to lock customers in, help you get that message across to them and the technology, whether it be analytic technology, AI, and I'm sure that'll be popping in and out of this discussion in various places, or even just some of the interactional technologies. So these are places where businesses need to be thoughtful about how they want to uh, bring those forward. But to your point, it really needs to come back down to the, the central point in how we're defining it here, which is what are the things we're doing that are helping our customers become more loyal? Yeah, I love that that laser focus around the, the end game being around loyalty. And we're going to dive in a little bit later into loyalty as it pertains to different sorts of relationship models like software as a service. But yeah, loyalty, that's what it's all about. And if you're a CEO, you know, one of the things you step back and you take a look at where do I invest? Where do I focus my people? And there's the, there's two experiences that we mentioned at the top of the podcast. You've got uh, employee experience. I'm investing in creating this great culture. And then I've got, well, how do I make the experience great for my customers? Seems like, Ken, that that's a macro kind of balancing act that uh, you know the C-suite needs to make. How do you see that interplay between the employee experience and the customer experience? So the employee experience is an essential ingredient here. And um, I appreciate you bringing that into the discussion because we cannot have a discussion about customer experience and customer loyalty unless we're bringing into the uh, discussion those who enable that and make that happen, which is the employees. Right. So the technology, again, back to that, makes this from a uh, implementation point of view easy. But the employee part is the hardest part of the puzzle. This is where, back to your question, if you're a CEO, you need to be thinking about this. Um, Again, when, when we talk about experience, we're talking about knowing the customer. And delivering to them through all the operations in the business and all the places they touch and see us, which means our associates need to be on board. They need to understand what we're doing. They need to see our mission as meeting customers' needs in service of having those customers be loyal to us because they see us meeting their needs. So our employees need to anticipate. They need to become expert on the customer. Right? So they may work in an operation area, a delivery area, an IT area. They may work in a marketing area, but they all need to understand and be expert on the customers. They need to understand simply who we're serving, why we're serving them, and how we're serving them now and in the future. And back to the CEO's perspective, you know, this can't just be a slogan. This can't just be something we talk about at quarterly meetings or put value statements on the wall, although those are helpful. We need, to, we need to live and breathe this, right? We need to be able to talk about our customers as the people we serve and, and at a great level of detail as to what it is they're looking for from us and how we're going to bring that to them. And so many of the other management principles that we think about in terms of 
you know, getting feedback from frontline employees and bringing that into product development and so on, that gets unleashed when our employees understand better who we're trying to serve, how we're trying to serve them, and why. So you can have an effective CX program without stellar employee experience, but it's not going to define the business in the way that makes it truly exceptional. Now, you know, it's easy for me to say these words. It's not necessarily easy for companies to get this to happen. And again, here is where size of a business works against the companies, right? The larger the company, the harder it is to get that culture around the employees, right? I mean, just ask any airline, right? How easy is this for an airline? They certainly have plenty of bright people focused on what they're trying to do for customers, yet customer experiences are very difficult. And as we know from uh, survey scores and such, airlines don't do very well. So, you know, to to use a very bad um, cliche, it is a journey, right? But it's got to start top down with awareness that customers are central to our business. We are seeking to meet these customers' needs in this way and have everyone rowing in that direction. Yeah, I'm really glad you brought up the internal education opportunity there because I think all of us in our daily lives have vivid examples where we, we've been in a situation where we are interacting with someone who's representing a brand, representing a service, representing a product. You mentioned the airlines. That's probably the one that comes to top of mind for most of us. And you can really see it and feel it when that employee isn't really with it, isn't really feeling connected to the brand. I mean, it's it's so apparent when they are viewing it as just this very transactional interface. On the flip side, when someone has bought in, they're enthusiastic, they're motivated, that is such a memorable interaction, Ken, right? And it becomes compelling when it, you think about, okay, I'm going to go there to buy again. I'm going to be loyal. So it's just this stark contrast, isn't it? It's a contrast exactly as you've, as you've painted it. And I think as you were painting that, the listeners were probably viscerally feeling exactly what you were saying. They were, they were reflecting on a week ago when they had such an interaction and so on, as was I as, as you were saying it. But it also gets to a parallel point around customer experience, which is many co uh, companies, when thinking about customer experience, they will talk about call center or interaction center. And it's more than that. It's not about having people on phones. That's part of the puzzle. You know, there's going to be an interaction point there. But the customer experience starts way, way, way before that in terms of understanding the customers who will be interacting with us. What is it they're seeking? What segments are they part of? What have they done? What's the context in which we're dealing with them? And so many discussions around customer experience tend to be at the superficial level of, well, here's some great software to go manage the customer experience. And basically what they mean by that is manage the interactions. And again, back to my earlier definition, I don't talk about interactions, I talk about intersections, right? I talk about where customers may come across us and sometimes it's directly and sometimes it might just be in the, in the ether out there. So this idea of the, uh, the bad customer interaction or the good customer interaction is certainly something we need to be paying attention to, and we need to see it as part of this bigger CX issue. But if we have the right products, if we have the employees, to your point, educated and trained in the right way to solve the problems our customers are dealing with, 
that will bring with it a more positive interaction. Well, we're in an era of tremendous digital transformation and certainly B2B organizations. Uh, there's this uh, trend in pushing towards more subscription models. We're talking about software as a service. And that's a whole different dynamic when you talk about re-earning trust in the business on a very predictable calendar cycle. It's a really interesting dynamic. What do you see as the key drivers for loyalty given this world of digital transformation and where we're really having to re-earn that, that business, like literally every day or every interaction? Yeah, this is... Uh... This is an essential question, Dan, um, because it's getting harder and harder, right? So to the buyer, you know, defection is just a few short clicks away, right? There are fewer fewer and fewer barriers to exit. It's not like I might have to rip out an entire IT system to buy a new one. I can just migrate over to a new provider, perhaps. Um, So, yeah, this is... This is certainly front and center for sure. And again, in a B2B situation, particularly, you may not be dealing with some of these same emotional drivers you would in a B2C subscription situation where maybe you could bring more emotion into it, right? Maybe it's around, you know, an area of personal interest to somebody, which probably buys a business a little more room in in, in that relationship. But on the B2B side, I, I you know, I saw some research from, from Forrester recently, and the high bar of expectations from B2B buyers, you know, that they expect, they expect, expect is the word, a focus and demonstration that their needs are understood by the seller is up in the 60 to 70% area in terms of that they would switch if they felt these needs weren't being met. So think about that. 60 on some of the questions in the 60s and other questions in the 70s in terms of, yes, I am likely to switch if I feel the seller is not really understanding my needs or meeting my needs. That is that is a difficult position to be in if you're selling. <laughs> you know, add to this a new generation of buyers, yeah. which is probably mixed into those numbers, right? We have buyers who are not tied to the old loyalties or some of the old brand names, particularly in some of the larger B2B software areas, right? So they buy B2B similar to the way they buy in a consumer journey. There's a lot more online research. Again, online research will be bringing people in contact with our company as an intersection. How are we presenting ourselves to them? Are we understanding their needs? Are we showing them we understand? And IDC has done some research on this in just showing how this younger generation of buyers is also looking at these th- things differently. So yes, it's a tenuous spot in B2B to keep that subscription loyalty. So, you know, what to do? There are two comments I would make. The first is, and I'll use the term loosely, personalization. So it's not personalization as in dear Mr. So-and-so or dear Mrs. So-and-so. It's personalization at the level of knowing, anticipating meeting and demonstrating an understanding of the customer situation and needs. So again, not just looking at data that we know that they're a business of this size in this industry with this many locations, but really getting down to where are they contextually 
in terms of using products like ours? What have they used in the past? Um, you know, is there background information going on in terms of their being bought by other companies, et cetera, et cetera? So this idea of deep personalization and really getting into, again, knowing this customer, even sometimes it might just be a prospect, and really seeking to meet their needs and anticipating the areas where we could bring more value. So that's the first part, personalization. And the second is actually trust, which is basically the currency of customer experience. And you can't buy trust, though you can discount into it maybe for year one, but trust is earned, right? So trust is earned through these intersections, through these interactions, through showing the buying center, because it's rarely just one person, showing all the people in that buying center how we can help based on what they are individually seeking out of our solution. So easier said than done, personalization and trust, those are just two words, but what is underneath those words is tremendously important. And these are the things companies need to be pushing for in terms of as their sales teams are trying to retain contracts or grow new contracts and so on. How deeply are we personalizing? How deeply are we getting into our customers' business to help them get to the next level? And are we building trust, which allows us from time to time to have a misstep if we built up that bank of trust? So, you know, trust can either be built with every interaction, uh, intersection, or eroded. And this is something we need to be thinking about in a, in a fickle world of uh, keeping loyalty. Yeah. And I think the other factor in and around personalization and trust here, and you mentioned the new generation of buyers that are making the decision. We're just in a world where the whole time continuum is different, Ken, than it was yes, even 20 absolutely. years ago. So, so I would just say the patience levels, the attention spans, I mean, all of those are shrinking, right? And there's this, we're in this world of just eating up real time because we've got such quick, easy access to new data, new information. And so everything, I want it now, I want it quick. And so again, if you're trying to um, build that relationship and the personalization of the trust, don't be misled into thinking that you've got time and that there's going to be this patience You've got to be very efficient, hyper-efficient, I would say, to do that. I think that's a tremendous point, Dan. And I think that also, again, leads us back to using technology in terms of getting into that customer, understanding the issues. To your point, using data from various places to understand their situation and being able to show them how we can help them and how we make sense as their partner at the point they intersect with us. Because you're right, we may not get a second swing at the ball, we might just get this one shot. And and the time continuum has changed, um, as you have pointed out. Yeah. Now, well, let's jump into this whole area of data, because we are in this data-rich world. We, we've never had the volume of information available, potentially, about our customers, about the market that we've had now, market intelligence. But with that, it can be complex and it can be intimidating to have all of these data points and try to swim through and try to interpret what's important, what isn't important. How do you see this access to greater data intelligence transforming how companies approach their customer relationships? So I like this question, Dan, because um, I would say the general consensus 
if you ask people, do you want more data? The answer is yes, right? Generally, more is better. But dig into that a little bit, and there are a number of caveats. The first is, more is better, perhaps, if we can turn that data into insights, right? Is this data, is the data we have something that we can analyze and understand in a way that gives me the insight I need to have that discussion, to meet that need, to better understand this customer? So that's the first point. Can we turn it into insights? And the second is, can we act upon those insights? So having the data is one thing, analyzing it's another, putting it into action is yet a different thing completely, right? Back to the employee experience, if we do not have the level of training or education provided to our team that's interfacing at the right times or our team that might be creating content for, for you know, customer journeys on um, our products and so on, then that data really isn't helping us much, right? So data can very much be a, a false hope to people. Oh, we have a lot of data. This will just make us better. Well, we need to go through those steps of turning it into insight, being able to act on that insight. Um, again, the mentality tends to be, particularly in larger enterprises, that more is better. And I think here is an example where, when we talk about medium and smaller businesses, there can be an advantage. There can be an advantage because it needs to be around, do we have the right data? Not necessarily more of it. Do we have the right data? Do we need the data that's going to allow us to energize that experience and unlock this relationship? Do we have the data that's going to help us better craft the solution for that customer? Right? And we can't limit ourselves to just the data in databases and, and market data, right? Uh, data that's digitally collected, for example. From a CX perspective, we need to understand perhaps even things like market research data because it can be very misleading if you look at a customer journey and you measure, say, usage of certain content, you might have very high metrics on that. But what you're missing is the data to say, was any of that useful to a customer? Did any of that help accelerate the journey? Okay, well, you say, Ken, let's just look at the next step and see how many went there. And we can do that, but we're still not getting to the essence of how is that furthering my relationship? What are the questions we need to understand better? What are the actions we need to understand better from these customers in order to meet their needs? Right? So it is very easy sometimes to um, you know, see data in the marketplace and say, yep, we're going to use that and that's going to make us better. And perhaps it will. But we can't lose sight of the fact that we need to be focused on the data we need that helps us unlock the relationships, helps us understand that customer's needs better. And very often, that's not data that's readily accessible in the marketplace without us doing some first-party work to get it. Yeah, I think two things you've talked about there around data are really powerful. The first is have a clear objective. What are the questions that you are seeking answers to? And I, you and I have probably seen it in, in our professional life where there are concerns, there's maybe a, a myriad of problems that are being floated, but there isn't that crystal clear objective in terms of what really do we want the outcome to be. And so then that leads to just going and grabbing 
volume of information and you're kind of swimming in it. And then you're really not getting to a decision. You're kind of in this pursuit of perfection of, um, you know, more predictable granular success, but it's kind of the unattainable get to perfection and that works against being actionable. So I love that you went there to say, make the data actionable. Yeah, we, uh, we've both been around long enough where we've lived through the build it and they will come era of people building data warehouses and such. And they were built and some people came, but not what was expected or at least put in the investment cases for them. It's pretty much the same with data. You know, we just can't grab the data and assume the insights are going to present themselves. We need to be very thoughtful about what data we want, or even more thoughtful to your point in terms of, well, what are we trying to understand? And then let's go find the data that's going to help us do that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's prioritizing and just being really clear there. Now, developing and sustaining a customer-focused culture isn't easy. And there are probably some examples that you've seen out there, companies that are figuring it out and they're doing really well. Are there some that come to mind for you? Yeah, there are. Um, and, you know, this is back to the employee question as well. This is hard stuff, right? Um, there's a reason why they don't immediately jump to mind, these companies, because this is hard, right? It does keeping the customer front and center for everyone, not just the people in marketing or sales or revenue generation. Um, it requires the investment in the employees and helping them become expert as well. I will say that, um, and maybe not to many people's surprise, Amazon actually does this very well. Amazon bakes into everything from what products they're going to develop to how they're going to develop them, this focus on a customer. They start connecting some of the, the points earlier where Amazon starts with working backward from customer needs, right? Here's what customers need. How can we build towards that? Um, of course, as uh, you'd expect, there are dashboards full of metrics. However, they don't live and die by those metrics. They augment those. They use anecdotes. They use customer stories that really go much deeper and identify issues behind the metrics that are being uh, perhaps disguised or going unseen. So it is this relentless pursuit of what does the customer need measuring if we're meeting that and then going further to hearing from customers if we're meeting that or what some of the issues are. And within the company, there are um, stories often and regularly about products which have been, say, discontinued because even though the, the numbers of these products sold very well, we found out from a customer experience point of view that perhaps um, the assembly of such a product or the way a, a, such a product um, shipped or had defects in shipping made it difficult for the company to continue offering it because it would not meet the customer needs or delight them in the experience. So Amazon is a company that um, lives by this and um, really drives it top down. Again, a lot of these examples, you know, uh, particularly when it comes to the employee piece of things and having a culture really do need to start at the top. Uh, another, I, I would say, and I'm you know, kind of personally proud of this one because I was at SAP, is that we ran a global customer event 
where we had over 14,000 attendees. And what we did, and again, starting at the top, our CMO said, look, I don't want to think about this as an event. I want to think about this as a customer experience. So we entered with a customer experience mindset. And many of the things we're talking about here in terms of thinking about these intersections, in terms of thinking about customer mindset, in terms of thinking about different customer segments that would be there and what their needs were, these were things that were put into play. And this took a lot of planning and a lot of work. Um, Obviously, there were measures for everything that we did, but there was also research. Right, There was on-site research of what was working, what wasn't working, how was the venue, how was the food, how was the lodging. We totally encapsulated the idea of a customer experience from top to bottom and left to right. And um, it was very well done. The, the good news was the, uh, the actual business metrics that we measured were all stellar and exceeded expectations. But we also won um, an external award. And most importantly, we, we grew customer trust and we grew net promoter score numbers with customers. So two examples there, you know, Amazon B2C and uh, SAP B2B. Yeah, amazing. It all starts with being very intentional again and, and setting that expectation, being clear about that uh, from the C-suite on down throughout the employee population. Really, really compelling examples. Ken, What's the best piece of business advice you've ever received? <laughs> uh, wow. There's been a lot. Um, I've been very fortunate. I, you know, I owe my career to a number of great mentors and managers who provided good advice and counsel. Um, sometimes when you don't want to hear it as well, but, uh, and that's probably when you learn the most. So it's hard to say um, just one, but if you don't mind, I'll give you two or three that kind of fit. And um, they also fit the idea of CX as we're talking about it as well. The first is to focus on what's right, not who is right. So this is particularly helpful if you're working in a big company, right? And uh, I know many of the listeners either do work or have worked in big companies. And you know, things can get kind of turfy. Um, This really allows you to cut through. This really allows you to put the emphasis where it belongs. From a CX perspective, that emphasis is around the customer, right? So focusing on what's right for them. And then we'll figure out who needs to deliver what, but let's focus on what's right. But I think you could probably see how in many examples in a big company, the idea of focusing on what's right and not who is right can really have have a big, big impact. The second is... um, Glass buildings don't buy products. People do. So back to your B2B example, actually your question about, you know, trying to retain customers and keep loyalty. You know, this is great advice for B2B because it brings the focus onto the experience and doesn't just look at a business as a customer, a glass building, but actually says you need to get into the individuals of that buying center. You need to build trust with them. You need to get them excited about wanting to do business with us, right? So I thought that was a good piece of advice. Mm-hmm. That's something yeah. I, I carry with me. And then the, the last one I would offer is something um, actually that I offer because when I speak to businesses um, and we talk about marketing and many issues uh, related there and particularly in smaller businesses, I often tell them, 
when we talk about marketing and such, you get the customers you deserve. Now, what does that mean? That means if you focus your business on discounts, let's say, guess what? You're going to get a lot of customers who want discounts. And it's going to be very hard to break out of that, perhaps. If you focus on customers who seek high trust, you'll benefit from loyalty, assuming you can deliver what you promise. So, you know, there's a corollary to this too, which is, you know, you're not necessarily the customer for your product or service. This is something I see all the time. You know, people saying, well, I wouldn't buy that. It's like, well, you're not the customer. Gets back to our point on CX, right? Know your customers. Who are you trying to serve and how? And, um, you know, this was uh, advice, if you will, that, you know, I learned over time that I wasn't the product necessarily for some of, uh, I'm sorry, I wasn't the customer for some of the products I was working in and for. And it really does give you that understanding that objectivity is so important. Standing back, understanding the customer, spending time with customers. And, you know, we could have a whole separate podcast about having spent time with customers and living where they live and, and breathing the air they breathe. So there were a couple there, Dan. Um, I didn't give you just one. So I, I apologize for not following the rules, but hopefully those are helpful. Oh, that was the triple play. That is true. <laughs> so Ken, when you look forward into the future, what makes you optimistic? I would say, Dan, it's going to be humanization. And I say that in this way. So in all the things we've been talking about, I'm a big believer that trust matters and that decisions are made in a way that include the human element. You know, perhaps this is my consumer behavior training. So while it seems counterintuitive, I am optimistic that with all these new technologies, especially AI, which we are going to be seeing throughout the, the uh, customer-facing landscape, including B2B, all of this new technology is going to require human intervention in order to direct its massive power. So I actually do think there, there will be a resurgence of humanization. There will be a rethinking of, back to some of the core things we've been talking about, what is it we're trying to do? <laughs> we just can't point this tool without really understanding what we're trying to do and how we're trying to do it. So, you know, customer expectations are at the point that they're expecting this level of, as we were saying before, personalization. The technologies are at the point where they can deliver it. None of this can be ignored. So we're going to need to deploy these with more human intervention. And hopefully that will lead us to even greater experiences for customers and for the business and the employees who are there. I love that. Humanity perseveres. I mean, AI is here. It's real. We can see it already having an impact in our interactions, but the human factor will endure. I love that. Ken, as we wrap up our conversation, do you have any other final advice for leaders that are looking to deliver an even more exceptional customer experience? Yes, I do. I do. And, um, I encourage them to get started. And by that, I mean the things that we've been talking about in this discussion work for small and medium businesses too, not just huge global enterprise. In fact, in many ways, it can be easier, right? But that we need to think about it a couple of ways. The first is, let's just think about getting the basics right. Know who your customers are, 
create some segments and so on. What are their needs? How can we meet those needs within our brand promise? Again, we don't want people to become things they're not. And then how do we measure that happening and experiment and try new things? So let's focus on those basics. That's number one. Number two, let's not be overly enamored by the technology. The technology is here to be a friend, as you were saying, to level the playing field, to accelerate, to be a force multiplier, but it is not the solution. You cannot buy CX in a box, or at least today you can't. Maybe we'll listen to this podcast a few years from now and say, that was wrong. You can buy it in a box. But at the moment, you cannot. Uh, third, realize that knowledge, and that comes from data, from insight, from talking to people, that's at the core. And then lastly, that CX needs to cut through the entire business. It's not just marketing. It's not just sales. It's not just the contact center. So ensure you're getting the basics right. Don't be overly enamored by the tech. It's there to help you build off a base of knowledge and think about CX as being holistic to the business, not just in one area. Ken, thanks again for joining and inspiring us and sharing your timely wisdom around why customer experience is at the cornerstone of success in terms of long-term growth and an critical element in business strategy. Thanks again for joining. Thank you, Dan. It's certainly been my pleasure. And a reminder, please continue to give the gift of feedback to help make this podcast even better. Go out, rate and review. You can do that. It's so easy on all the major podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And as always, make sure to visit marketimpactnow.com for the latest in business leadership perspectives. So long until next time.